0: Hey, good morning everybody. It is so good to be together and uh, we are jumping into the book of Daniel. We'll come right back I wanted to just share one other thing that's happening. We got the trifecta We're here this morning new to new life right after and then tonight a few times a year all of the new life campuses Which we're a part of gather together to worship to celebrate to see what God might lead us into We call it new life united that is happening tonight I would love to invite you to join me four o'clock at the training center in Silverdale Uh, We're talking about grads here next Sunday, but we're also going to celebrate graduates tonight. We think that's a really big deal. And then a friend of mine, his name is Jeffrey Portman. We've known each other for several years. He kind of spends his days helping people start new churches all over the place and extend the good news of Jesus. Uh, He'll be also speaking tonight. So I'd love to invite you to join me there. And then a little after party. Who's here for that? Okay, I got one. All right. Uh, Hey, we're going to actually, we were going to join up with our NK friends over at the Creative Consortium. There was a little snafu. We're still joining with them and others, but over at Maynard's and Silverdale. It's right where you'll be already. So let's pop in together, and uh, if you have any questions, feel free to let me know. Okay, back to Daniel. So we're jumping into this Old Testament book, which Grant mentioned, and uh, a little sneak peek. You know, we were talking about kids' camp. We thought it'd be a good idea to go through Daniel right now because, did you know at Kids Camp, we're going to be looking at several of the scenes or stories or events that happen in this book, and why don't we just get prepared beforehand? Sound like a good idea? Because we're all on the team, right? Back to the board. You see how this works? (laughs) It's kind of fun. Okay. Um, But no, seriously, we love investing in the next wave, and so we're going to be doing that all summer long, and we thought, let's also lean into this too. Let's see how it prepares us all for the summer. And uh, today, I want to kind of share some introductory things So that hopefully will help us read this text well and see, again, what we're being invited into. So I have a question for you, and I'd love some feedback. So when you hear mention of this book known as Daniel, I'm just curious. Off the top of your head, what comes to mind? Okay, that's one, yes. What else? Fiery Furnace, yeah? What else? What was it? (laughs) He's a smarty pants. That is like in the footnotes, actually. I think I've read that before. Daniel Smarty Pants. I love that. What else? Oh, the son of man. That's a term. We're going to come back to that right on. What else? What was it? Strength. Prayer. Yeah. What was it? Prophecy. Yeah. Exile. We're going to talk about that, too. What was it? Yeah. 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 This is good. A lot of stuff. And you may be here and be like, okay, I hear what these people are saying. But when I hear Daniel, I just think of a friend I know. This Bible thing's brand new to me. Listen, if that's where you're at right now, no worries. We are all in this together. You are in the right place because we're going to walk through this starting today again, just kind of giving some handles of how to read. But the handles aren't just information, I think they help us lean into this very moment with God. And as we talk about that and we explore this more, just to kind of get us kind of even moving with a central theme, there's an Old Testament scholar, I appreciate his work, does quite good work with things like Daniel and other pieces of wisdom literature. Uh, His name is Tremper Longman, but he succinctly describes this text we're going to look at um, really as stories about faith under pressure. Uh, Matter of fact, the first six chapters of what we call Daniel would be stories of that. The final six would also be Daniel's dreams that kind of correspond with what's going on throughout the whole text. And again, we'll look at this together. Now, when you hear the word or the phrase under pressure, in addition to hearing that really fabulous groove that starts off that really fabulous song, and I'll even give you a pass if you default to Vanilla Ice. That's not the original, but you're okay. We're all in this together. But in addition to thinking of under pressure and hearing that in your mind, at least now you will, I wonder what comes to mind when you hear those words, maybe a scene from your life, maybe a moment you're in now, maybe something you were in, maybe something you're gonna be in because you've lived long enough and you know how this works. I was thinking about that idea of under pressure. And um, so I'm kind of late to the game of golf. Like my friend group didn't really play that at, you know, back in kind of previous times of my life. So I found that I wanted to get involved though. I like friends, I like doing stuff. And um, I remember I found myself really early learning to play golf. Maybe I should say trying to play golf, because I don't know if I've learned yet. But nonetheless, um, I remember being pulled up in an event with three other really good golfers. And you know how it goes if you've ever played. Like, you're on the first tee, and everybody's watching you. And then I was first up. I straight up heard that soundtrack. Like, I felt it. And I remember stepping up there, and I'm like, this is not going to go well. Um, My drives are notorious for not participating with what I want. And so I remember standing there, and I approached the ball, and I hit the ball, and it went straight down the fairway. And I just walked off like, yep, all right, you guys are up. Um, But I knew, and you know, I got so lucky, so lucky. Because I can point to so many other moments, not just on golf courses, where under-pressure moments, you feel that tension. You feel that thing in your gut, and you don't know how it's going to turn out. And I've got stories, and you've got stories where it didn't go straight down the fairway, where it was off the rails. I'm positive of it. Stuff at school, stuff at work, stuff with the people we love, stuff in ourselves, our bodies, right? We know what it's like. And if we zoom in a little bit more, what about faith under pressure? As we walk into this way of being with God in all moments, we know there are pressure-packed moments. We We know there are moments where, again, things feel off script, off the rails. This isn't going like I thought. God, I'm not sure what you're doing with it. I'm not sure what I'm doing with it. I think we can all tell those stories too. And I mention that because, again, in Daniel, he and his friends... We're going to meet them throughout this exploration. They show us what it's like to go through those moments in reality. The struggle, the tension. But also, they give us some really beautiful clues of how to walk through those moments with the God who is, who was, and who will be. And that's my deep hope for you today. We don't have to pretend that the pressure is not there. We don't have to try to make everything tidy. But I do hope during this series... There is a rising up within you, within me, within us of faith, of walking with God in some ways that are sure, even when other things aren't. And so we're going to walk through it today. So to get us started, I'd love to invite you to read with me the first few verses of Daniel chapter 1, and they'll be on the screen, and I'd love it if you'd lend your voice and read aloud with me. We'll read Daniel 1, 1 through 7, and then we'll actually skip down to verse 21 which kind of walks us through a few things that are helpful. So you ready? Let's do it. So during the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Aspenaz, the chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other nobles who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, like these guys. All right, sorry. Um, he said, make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years and then they would enter the royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar. Hananiah was called Shadrach. Mishael was called Meshach. Azariah was called Abednego. And Daniel remained in the royal service until the first year of the reign of King Cyrus. So as we walk through this, I don't know if even in the opening lines of that you found yourself hearing places or phrases or concepts. You're like, what's that? Uh, I know when I read this story, I realize really quickly that I live a long way from where this actually all took place, both geographically and historically. Uh, I don't live anywhere where near Judah. Matter of fact, where is that? So I wanted to talk about those things for just a moment because that's how the text opens. So in the story of the Bible, God is always, from the opening pages, God is always building, creating space for a growing family. God has this deep desire that you, that me, that our neighbors, that our friends, even our enemies would belong to this family. God is always building a family, a bigger family, and we're all included. And as that's going on, we see that that starts in the biblical story with this one peculiar little group of people, a tribal people, matter of fact. And as they're kind of forming their way together, at first they're together, but actually they ended up dividing and kind of forming two, if you will, kingdoms and in the Bible, those kingdoms are known as Israel and Judah. So you have Israel, a northern kingdom, Judah, a southern kingdom. You could, by the way, read the story of these in texts of the Old Testament, like Chronicles and Kings and so forth. So that gives a little backdrop to this notion of Judah. It's part of this family God is putting together. Now, what's interesting is they lived in a time and a place in a land where people groups were always trying to conquer people groups. We might still see that same thing. But as this is happening, Judah had witnessed about 100 plus years before their neighbors, Israel, they had noticed that they had been taken over by a superpower. And they kind of had a thing like, I don't think that'll happen to us. Even though amongst this family of God, there were these folks who were paying attention to what God wanted to say to the people. We call them prophets. And they had said, actually, there is this thing coming and you're going to experience this hardship. You're going to experience this captivity, this exile, which we'll talk more about. And just a side note, anytime the prophets talk about why that's happening, in the backdrop, they give us some clues of what's going on. So remember, God's building a big family, right? Do you know God's intention for his good family is that we would live in the good world he made in perfect harmony with creation and one another? That is God's intended purpose, love and flourishing. But what happens, and I don't know if it's ever happened in your family, sometimes families have dysfunction. My family has a not my uh, current family, let me make sure that's clear. I'm probably the dysfunctional one, but nonetheless, I come from that place. No, we all have dysfunction. And sometimes in family dysfunction, it happens because one member or two or others, why, we want to do things our own way. We want to push back and make up new rules or just bring chaos into it. In the biblical story, the breaking of that shalom or how things are supposed to be, how God created this all to work, remember harmony and flourishing? The name that the Bible gives for that pushback, doing things our own way, selfishness, whatever you want to call it, is sin. And sin ravages things. It breaks up what God intends for good. It doesn't do it forever. God is actually not defeated by it. Matter of fact, we see Jesus coming in his life, his death, his resurrection to put everything back together. But this people group experienced this dysfunction because of sin, because of choosing, uh, some would say, lesser loves instead of the love of God going after their own way. And it brought upon them pain. And what's interesting, the prophets also say that not only is sin something between us and God, if you read the prophets of the Old Testament, they regularly say that this sin, this brokenness, this lack of harmony, works itself out between us humans one to another. We hurt each other. We don't act ethically. If you read the prophets, you'll notice they are calling God's people, God's family over and over and over again to do justice to love, to live well, to walk humbly. And so anyway, back to our story, these prophets had been saying that these kinds of things were happening because of the fracture that God's people were living into. Well, Judah was kind of like, I don't know if this is going to happen, but when we find this story that we're in today arriving, they realize that is the horrific state that they find themselves in. It mentions a king named Jehoiakim. and His third year of his reign would have been about 605 B.C., so that dates the historical moment. And Judah, again, would be what we would say is modern-day Israel geographically. So we're a long way from there. But I think we can see some overlapping themes even in this context to maybe pay attention to and also help us kind of read together. Now, out of those little historical moments, I want to unpack a few themes today that are both informational But I think they have an invitation to him as well. So let's jump in together. One of the themes we're going to see, and this text even gave us a clue. One of the texts we're going to see in the story of Daniel is, and I'll use this theological phrase, the theme of the sovereignty of God. We'll unpack that a little bit. But did you notice the line when we were reading the story that it says, the Lord gave him, Nebuchadnezzar, victory over Judah. The Lord actually gave this warrior who became a king, victory over God's own family. That's a little interesting, because in Judah's imagination, they probably thought, we're God's people, we're special, we can do anything we want. But God actually gave victory to this supposed outsider enemy, and also permitted him to take some stuff that they would have thought were very important, these objects from the temple. It's a bit of a mystery, It doesn't always compute because sometimes, not just then, but even now, people who claim God can kind of develop this posture, you might say, that says, well, I'm with God, and so I can do what I want. I'm special, but maybe God will actually bring things into our life to humble us. And I hope that doesn't sound overbearing or too weighty, but I know there have been times in my life that I am aimed in a narcissistic direction and in God's loving kindness and discipline, he will actually bring things into my life to actually draw my attention to it. There's some people I appreciate and a voice I love, and this one older kind of wise person whose voice has been helpful for me, and he says, I pray every day for one good humiliation, just so I'll, like, stay humble. And sometimes I don't even have to pray for them, and they come. (laughs) But the Lord gave him victory. Um, I mentioned this one scholar earlier, and he says it this way, a major concern of Daniel is to reinforce the belief that the sovereignty of God far surpasses the power of even the most mighty of human rulers. One of the ways we talk about it here is that God is in charge of those who are in charge of me. And you're going to see that through Daniel. God, the mysterious one, because by the way, is there any way God could really be God if we have it all figured out? The one who is beyond us can do what he wants. But what he wants is always good and full of love. And I know that's complex, And we can't unpack that in its fullness today, but we're going to see that thread throughout Daniel. Speaking of this idea of God being sovereign, here's some of the images of the biblical story that kind of unpack what we mean by that. He's the creator. He's the maker. So therefore, the maker can do what he wants with the creation. There's a text also in the Old Testament that shows God as a potter sitting at a wheel, fashioning something beautiful. Jesus comes on the scene the full flesh version of the God who we're talking about. And you even see his ability to kind of lean into some of these ways and sovereignty. Do you remember the story where he's with his friends and the winds and the waves are going nuts and they are fearful for their lives? And he says, stop. He can control the wind and waves. This is the same God. But why I also wanted to point out Jesus in this notion of sovereignty is because this picture of God being in charge and can do what God wants, we see it fully in Jesus. What does he want? He wants to bring us back into our awareness that we're part of this family. He wants to put us back together where we're broken. The sovereign God is not distant and aloof and angry. The sovereign God comes close and is filled with love and is taking everything towards love in its fullness. That is what Jesus shows us. But at Daniel, we are going to wrestle with, see this sovereign God in action. And it's really interesting. I just want to encourage you as you read through Daniel, you're going to see all these stories of Daniel and his friends. And at times, it could even feel like the mention of God is almost as a backdrop. It's like we're seeing these human events. But you'll notice that God gave Daniel the ability to do this, and God permitted this to happen. So just pay attention to that theme. And one other interesting thing before we move on from this particular theme. In the ancient Near East, where this story is originating from, if one group or empire overcame another, one in battle, they would basically say, well, our gods beat your gods. And I think it's interesting that the God of the ages, the creator, the potter, the God who's come close in Jesus, was actually okay, even letting his reputation, if you will, be thought of differently by maybe the broader for the sake of what he could do for his own people. Because he wanted to bring his people back, and he was okay with other people saying other things. I just find that interesting. He's actually looked upon by the others as though, oh, not so much. But he's willing to go through the humble path of even serving his own people to bring them back to what they could be. And we see Jesus doing the same thing. Lays down his rights. Takes up the place of a servant. Why? To restore us. To bring us back. This is the beauty of the sovereign God. Another theme we see in Daniel, exile. I think Reese said that earlier. Exile, if you were to look it up in the dictionary, it's the state of being barred from one's native country, typically for political or punitive reasons. And we actually still see that in the world today, don't we? Where people groups are displaced, people groups are moved and forced because of all kinds of political activity and power grabbing. And as we think about this, in <clears throat> exile also added to that Really what's going on during these times is that uh, the taking over group would want to utilize some of the native population for its own purposes. They were trying to expand their empire. They're trying to make things happen. So they're going to pull, as we saw in this story, the noble, the strong, the healthy, the handsome, the well-versed, the knowledgeable, the, those with good judgment, those suited for service. They're going to strategically uh, co-opt them, force them into service to try to make their own thing happen. We see this in Daniel, and this is rough, being displaced, it's disorienting, and it was disorienting for them, it's still disorienting for people around the world, but let's take it even into the range of metaphorical for our own lives. I think a lot of us know what it's like to feel displaced, to not be at home even when we're at home, to be kind of unset, like a bone out of, you know, broken, or a something out of joint, the ache. And I think there is an invitation in Daniel to look at those moments in our lives that feel like exile, and I'm not trying to make light of those who go through it in the literal way, but I think all of us go through it with broken relationships, when our hopes are dashed, when the script I had in mind is not the script I'm living into now, and I don't know where I am, and I'm disoriented. I think we can read Daniel and kind of pay attention to this theme of exile and see some possibility. Talking about that, I was reminded of an Old Testament scholar I appreciate named Walter Brueggemann. And in this work he has called Cadences of Home, he says, in exile, there's really three options. And you see this in Daniel. We'll either assimilate, we'll despair, or there'll be a new imagination and fresh engagement. And here's, I wanted to unpack those briefly. It was common, and it would have happened in Daniel's time, that some of those who were brought into service and they were taught the ways of the empire that had had basically captured them, that they assimilated. They gave up kind of their core identity, which we'll talk about in a moment, and they basically learned and leaned into the ways of the new empire. They're just like, well, this is where we are now, and so the culture gets in them, and they become basically something different than they were. You can assimilate. And I think the same is true for us when we go through our exile moments where we feel displaced and disoriented. There can be things around us, cultural realities, that can just say, ah, this is just too hard. It's easier to go that way. I'm just going to kind of let that form me in a new way because I can't deal with this. And that kind of leads to the second option, despair. Maybe folks didn't assimilate, but for the rest of their lives, they were living in this stuck place of despair. And I don't want to make light of despair. There is a proper despair when we go through pain and loss. When we go through disorientation, there is a proper season of despair. Of sadness, of sorrow. But we are not made to live in that for the rest of our lives. And neither were they. And yet we know that happens sometime. But the other option, and it is the option we'll see in Daniel, is to let the imagination be renewed for what actually might come out of this, and then to engage with freshness. We're gonna unpack this quite a bit in Daniel because what you're gonna see, and we're gonna talk about this more in a moment with identity. But they let that identity fuel them into a way of saying, I wouldn't have chosen to be here, but I'm here now. And while I'm here now, I'm, I'm paying attention. What might God be inviting me into or freeing me up to live into, to become in a new way, in a new place, a new imagination? And then out of it to engage. The whole book of Daniel, West said it in his video, was this idea of, of influence and engaging and all kinds of beautiful work in the place God has planted us. And that's my deep hope for us as a church, that if we find ourselves in this moment or any moment, displaced, discouraged, broken, the limb's broken, my, I'm out of joint, I don't know what to do, that we will sense the Spirit of God equipping us to, again, have a renewed imagination and a fresh way to engage this moment. Daniel will show us a lot of beautiful examples of that. And I'm looking forward to walking through those together. I think another way of talking about this with exile and what God wants to invite us to pay attention to is, and I've kind of alluded to it earlier, but all of us long for home. Way more than an address, but a place of belonging and being, right? A place where we don't carry a heavy burden, but we can breathe easy. A place where we're known and can know. That's what we long for. And we're going to see that even in moments that feel fractured, we're invited to still experience that. It's that Edward Sharp song, right? The Magnetic Zeros, home, let me come home. Home Homer's wherever I'm with you. Go ahead and whistle it. Like we're doing karaoke day, by the way. I'm going to just come up with songs and we'll figure it out. But that's our longing. That's our desire. That's our future. The idea of home. And again, we're going to see how to be at home even when maybe we're somewhere we never thought we would be by paying attention to the theme of exile. And that does lead us into the next theme, identity. Um, did you notice when we were reading the text earlier that it's, it gave their names and then it said they were renamed? That's not just a, a small little like description. Um, so the Babylonians did that on purpose. The Babylonians very much on purpose changed Daniel's name to Belteshazzar and Hananiah to Shadrach and Mishael to Meshach and Azariah to Abednego. Because their original names actually were names that meant who they were with their God. And the new names they were given were the names related to Babylonian gods. It was to try to rewire how they conceived of themselves and who they thought they really were. Identity. And if you go through identity further, and just let this settle in what we know historically. So the Hebrew people, of which Daniel and his friends are part of the family... They are um, often referred to, if you look at some of the research, as people of the land. The land meant a big deal. It wasn't just like buying a lot and having an address. Like the land was your past, your present, and your future. You depended on it for everything. Your identity was connected to it. I'm just and from. It was so rooted in that. Well, that's been like ripped out from under them. They've been taken from the land. And that would really shake up the notion of identity. We thought we were people in this land that God gave us, and we were going to be here, so what's going on? Not only were they people of the land, and again, they faced that challenge to their identity, but the names that we just talked about was part of that. And then I'm going to say something that we're not going to go too far into, and I'm not trying to make light of it, but you'll get why in a second. There's a deep possibility that Daniel and his friends, as they were brought in to serve this enemy empire, were made eunuchs. Not only were they people of the land, not only did their names get changed, but they probably like us, but maybe more than us sometime, were people who saw their future being all about future children. So I'm not in the land anymore, my name's been changed, and I don't even know if I have a future. That will mess with your identity, right? But what we see in Daniel, and I just want to encourage you, the stories we're going to see Even in the midst of all of that stuff, somehow, and it's not just mental. It's not just a resolute idea. Somehow, they are able to live true to the story of God that was before them, is during them, and will be after them. And we're invited into that too. The story of the God who is faithful and goes with. The story of the God who, regardless of where I'm at, tells me who I am. The beloved children of God. We spent a whole series talking about this. And we're not going to stop because this is a big theme of the Bible. You are God's beloved child. Even when all the things come against you that shake up and distort and confuse identity, that's who you are. And in Daniel, we're going to notice that over and over again, how they kind of somehow were able to live into that. And I think we'll see some beautiful examples of how we can do the same as well. And by the way, what I love in Daniel and I love through the scriptures Identity is also rooted with mission. Side note before we move on. Here's what I mean. Because Daniel and his friends could live in the love of God, they were free even serving their enemy. Again, growing up, Babylon, enemy. Even in serving their enemy, they could hold their hands open in love. There's proof of it in the text. As we read further, you're going to see things like this. Daniel's going to have to tell the king that he's serving, again, the enemy, some things that are going to happen. But do you know what he says when he tells them this? I so wish this wouldn't happen to you. I so wish you would change and this wouldn't be what you have to go through. Compassion and love flows out of our identity. And we're gonna discover that during Daniel. And I think be invited into that anew. Another theme that comes out of this, wisdom and courage. Did you notice when we read this opening line that it said they were well-versed in every branch of learning, gifted in knowledge and good judgment? That's this clue. They were deemed to be wise. If you were to look at Daniel's life, which we'll be looking at, and you would read the Proverbs and other wisdom literature in the Bible, you would see a really beautiful match, a contrast. In essence, Daniel is a picture of the wise person, who Jesus is the full picture of. But we see Daniel embody wisdom. Well, what is wisdom? As it says elsewhere in the Bible, wisdom, which Daniel shows us, is starting from this foundational place of living in this awe-inspiring vision of God that instead of just seeing God from afar and being like, that's fabulous, you're amazing, you're, I don't even know, it's the kind of awe that draws me in like, i got to see more. And I want to go where you're going. That is the way of wisdom in the Bible. And so it starts with that view, that posture, but then it works itself in the tangible stuff of life, ethical things, practical things, and you're going to see that wisdom in Daniel. And I love how it's wisdom paired with courage, wisdom paired with courage. When we get to chapter 3 and 6, for instance, some of you mentioned, like, statues and fiery furnaces and lion's den. You're going to see, Daniel, in these moments, when stuff hits the fan, there is courage. But it's not, it's not false courage. Maybe, and I just will confess, there have been times I've kind of pretended I was courageous, you know, blustery and brah. Like, sit down, boy. Um, It's not that. It's like that quiet, strong, steady, resolute courage to live the way of love, even when everything else around is just off the rails. And it's rooted in, God's like that. I want to go there and be like that. Wisdom and courage over and over and over again. And the last one, the theme of faithfulness. We sang some songs earlier about God being faithful, and it's God's faithfulness that invites us to reciprocate that, to say, oh, I'm going with you. You're that way, I wanna, I'm going to go that way too. And there's some beautiful examples of faithfulness in this text. When we read a moment ago, you may have been like, why did we read verses 1 through 7 and then skip down and read verse 21? Why did we do that? Because you read 21, and it's kind of a summary statement. Daniel remained in the royal service until the first year of the reign of King Cyrus. It can almost seem like it's just a blip, like a historical note, but it's more than that. If you look into it a bit further, here's what you'll find. Daniel was in exile, living in all this we're talking about, but remained the same and faithful for 66 years. As we unpack the story of Daniel... He serves various kings and rulers, all these new folks who come to town, if you will. But he remains true. They change, but he doesn't. He's rooted in his identity. He's following the God who is giving him a new imagination. He is living into the story of love over and over and over again. It reminds me of Eugene Peterson's classic book and his phrase that I love, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. That is what we see in Daniel, and that is what we are invited into I think we all know we live in a world that, not just in this moment, but throughout history, there have been lots of, you know, flashy attempts to gain attention and to be this or that or the other. But we play the long game, right? We follow the God of generations, the God who was and is and is to come, and we take on this character like Daniel does of faithfulness. But I wanted to throw out a couple of things that root Daniel in faithfulness and that will root us in faithfulness as we wrap up. When you skip past the stories of Daniel 1 through 6 and you get to the visions or his dreams in like 7 and following, there's one dream he has. It's probably the most well-known one. Tom, you mentioned the son of man term that we find in Daniel. Daniel has this dream of this kind of cosmic courtroom and all these beasts are there and everything's crazy. But in the middle of all that turmoil, this one that Daniel uses the phrase, son of man shows up, which is just means human, but also it's a term that Jesus used for himself, probably his most favorite term to refer to himself. And Daniel 7 tells us that this son of man, who again, we have the benefit of looking backwards, his rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. Daniel had rooted his life on that. That there is another king that is not beastly, but that is way more beautiful, who is with me, who tells me who I am, and who's given me this mission, even in a place I may not have chosen. And his rule is forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed. If you fast forward, the book of Daniel really gives the imagination, the help, the foundation for what John really writes about in the text we know as Revelation, the end of the Bible. And that same God whose kingdom will never be destroyed as we now understand it because we see Jesus as the Son of Man. It says, look, this is what he'll bring. God's home is now among his people. He will live with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them. If you keep reading, it says all death is done, all tears are put away, all exile is ended, and we are all home. That is what held Daniel in the place of a faithful life not all the beastly stuff that happened to him and the various empires that came and went but a vision of the son of man Daniel would be so jealous of us today because we have the benefit of looking through and seeing we have seen the son of man come Jesus Christ the one and only in his life his death his resurrection and it is that same hope that will root us in identity it is that same hope who will get us through exile moments. It is that same hope who will make us into people of wisdom and courage. It is that same hope rooted in the beauty of the sovereign God that will help us be faithful people for the long haul. And so during Daniel, we're kind of invited into a class of sorts. But it's not just a class for our minds. It's a way to practice the faithful life, the wise life, I was thinking about the notion of practice and how we become, and I'm so grateful. I really love Tish Harrison Warren's great book called The Liturgy of the Ordinary, and she sums up how this kind of life works out. She says, we don't wake up daily and form a way of being in the world from scratch, and we don't think our way through every action of our day. We move in patterns that we have set over time, day by day. These habits and practices shape our loves, our desires, and ultimately who we are and what we worship. And throughout our study of Daniel, we are being invited to be formed as a people, deep identity, wisdom and courage, and faithful as we follow the one and only, the Son of Man, into this good life. And so today, I'd love you to just pause for a moment. If you're comfortable closing your eyes or just kind of pausing where you are. Today, the intent has been to try to introduce Some of the contours and content that we're going to explore in more depth. But I think, again, it's beyond just information because I have a hunch that there are some of us who feel like we're in exile. We have an address and we have a home, but we feel so far from home, we feel disoriented. If you're in that space, can I just be a friend who says the God of the ages has your back like he did for Daniel and his friends? And in this very moment, I won't pretend that it'll all be tidied up and work out perfect and snap and we're done. But I pray for you that you will find this tangible, even surprising goodness of seeing the Lord in the land of the living, if you will, the place you're living now. And I pray that you can open your heart today and your hands and your mind, and your body, even if it's just a little, to the God who is with you and will be with you and will take you home. Some of us, the identity piece, so much has happened in, Trying to sort out who in the world am I? I would love to encourage you today that the voice that speaks over you, and I'll never get tired of saying it, even if you get tired of hearing it. The voice that speaks over you is saying, oh, my beloved daughter and son, I so want to help you unpack who you really are. And in the coming days, through Daniel and beyond, I've got your back in that. And maybe you would open your hands a little bit more today and take on that curious learning posture and let's see what happens. And some of us, we live in a moment that can be difficult to know what really true wisdom and courage looks like. And maybe we're hearing the voice of the spirit saying, I wanna form you in that. And you would join me in saying, okay, Lord, I'm not gonna pretend like I know it all. And I'm not just going to posture and be loud, but I'm going to let you teach me what wisdom and courage look like for the sake of this moment, for your glory, for my good, and for the good of my neighbors and friends here on the island and beyond. And I think all of us are being invited into a faithful journey wherever the Lord has us. And I would pray this, would we open our hearts and our minds and our imaginations to the Son of Man, the one whose kingdom will never end and never be destroyed, the one who has taken us home. I pray today we would open ourselves and the next eight weeks would truly be transformational. And so today, whatever you sense you're invited into, a couple of invitations. One, just open yourself to God. Two, on the Connect card that we have, if, if those are one of the areas you're leaning into, let us know. Myself and our team would love to pray and walk with you through it. We'll collect those in a few minutes. We're invited today. And the probably best invitation and the most beautiful one and maybe the one that ties us all together is a practice we do weekly here. In just a moment, I want to invite you to step with me to the table of the Lord that we call communion, the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper. It is literally a reminder of our identity and the promise, even when we're going through exile, that the God of the ages gave himself, broken for your brokenness, poured out for all that you thirst for, to deal with sin and the fracture that divides us. And the Lord of the ages says, come to my table. I got a seat waiting for you. Take a load off, weary traveler. Come home. And so today, would you stand with me? Wherever you find yourself, you are welcome to the table of the Lord. You are a beloved child, and he has a seat for you. We do this practice. We lean into this way because on the night that Jesus was betrayed, He was with his friends. He broke bread. He gave it to them and said, this is my body. Take it and eat my brokenness for yours. And he took the cup of wine at the meal table and said, this is my blood poured out for you to make everything new between you and God. So drink your fill because that's where you're at now. And today as we start this journey with Daniel into identity and through exile and into the long faithful journey, I can't think of a better invitation because this is what will sustain us for the entirety of it. So my friends, my brothers and sisters, would you come to the table of the Lord today? The one who is Daniel's host, the one who is ours, the one and only. You're welcome. Come as you're ready.